the Deutsche Grammophon International podcast series. I'm Sarah Willis, French horn player by trade and passionate podcaster on the side. I love podcasting with the Yellow Label's star-studded cast of musicians. Today's guest is a very new addition to this star-studded cast. He has just recorded his very first album for Deutsche Grammophon and what an album it is. One tenor opera highlight after the other, I wanted to jump up and applaud after every aria, especially after his final high C at the end of the last track. The New York Times has described him as a total star. But what makes a tenor tick? We are finding out on today's podcast. So, Jonathan Tedelman, welcome to the Deutsche Grammophon International Podcast Series. It's great to see you. I wish it was in person. Well, of course, it's always better in person, but great to be here. I just missed you in Berlin. You just had your official coming out for Deutsche Grammophon. You went and you sang. It was apparently a huge highlight. You were singing your your greatest hits and uh, it was quite an intimate setting, wasn't it? But it must have been nice to perform again in that setting. That's absolutely right. It was an intimate setting that I haven't had for a long time. It's been opera after opera this year, but uh it was it was very nicely put together and um it was a success i think uh with the music and the uh, the audience the pianist everything was really phenomenal well congratulations Thank you. i i said in the introduction that your your album your very first album for deutsche grammophon is so full of highlights i literally wanted to stand up and cheer at the end of it. of highlights i literally wanted to stand up and cheer at the end of it. of highlights i literally wanted to stand up and cheer at the end of every single one of them I mean, that's a lot to put together. That's a lot of high notes. Uh, how on earth did you record it? Did you do a, a track a day or how many high? For a track a day. That would be ultra luxury. Um, we did about four tracks a day. We had, uh, um, we did about four tracks a day. We had uh, limited time because it was in the fall of the, of the season. So it's a very busy time for the orchestra in Grand Canaria. So we had to kind of squeeze everything in really quickly. Not a lot of takes, but I think we got some really quality stuff, which hopefully is getting transferred. Job. It was it was exciting and no time for rest. No, but an orchestra. No time for rest. No, but an orchestra is used to repeating things many times, done a lot in one take because you know. So you guys must have done a lot in one take because you know that the high C is not something you can repeat again and again and again. Absolutely, we were really trying to save uh, the good moments for when we really needed them, and um, luckily I had a solid team that was. It was very knowledgeable on how to accomplish that. You're you're very modest, but you do sing those high notes. Incredible! Is it water? Is it you do between those takes? Is it water? Is it thing in working order? What does a tenor do to keep keep everything in working order all the time? But you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of prayers and rosary beads that come out between takes. Um, <laughs> even even as a Jew, you know. <laughs> Anything we can get our hands on to to make it happen is um, it, it's 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 difficult. You know, you really have to walk this really thin line, this tightrope, to make it happen every time. And um, I would say, just always pace yourself and just know what you can do. What and more importantly, what you can't do. Self and just know what you can do. What and more importantly, what you can't do. 
but adrenaline plays an amazing part in what we do. I mean, I find horn players and tenors are, of course, very similar. We only have one chance to hit that note. Uh, but adrenaline on the night helps incredibly. But in a recording situation and also without having your, I mean, you had one beautiful aria where your, you know, your partner was opposite you, where you could sing to someone. But otherwise, most of the tenor arias actually you're, you're singing about death and dying of, of love and all the rest of it. But there's no audience there to to feed you that adrenaline. Yeah, it, it, this was something that was um, a little tricky uh, to create this emotion that I really love to create on the stage. It's like this connection to the character and the connection to the words. Uh, in a recording setting without a performance, it's it's harder to to deliver this emotion. But I think with like with a good orchestra and a good conductor, they can they can bring these emotions out in the singer. And it's a it's a very big give and take between between the two people. Tell me about this orchestra. How on earth did you get to Gran Canaria to make a make an album? I I was amazed. They sound fantastic. <laughs> yeah, just landed on Gran Canaria. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we, we were chasing the sun. No, really. Um, I was fortunate enough last summer to uh, join Elena Garancha and her husband, Karel Barchichon, on their tour of Carmen highlights. And um, it was throughout kind of the Baltic area and and uh, Budapest, uh, Croatia and Belgrade. You know, I, we struck up a, a familiarity, a friendship and I was in the market for a great conductor with a great orchestra and, you know, he kind of just fell into my lap. So <laughs> I was really lucky to have him there and he accepted and, you know, it, it was, it was, uh, it was meant to be. Yeah, it was a great, a great place to record also. That's, um, that, that, co- were you in the concert, in the, in the, in the concert hall there? Yeah, the concert, the, the concert hall, um, is, is absolutely stunning. It's got this huge keyhole window looking out over the water as the sun sets. And it's just, it's the perfect place to record. It's the most chill environment. You know, everybody's just enjoying themselves, listening to the ocean. I even swam in the ocean and the food. I mean, I mean, you can't do much better than being in the in the middle of the, the Atlantic Ocean like that. Okay, so that's why these arias sound so inspired. That, that's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is it about you, tenors? I mean, all the roles that are written for you, you're either uh, in love, dying of love, falling out of love, complaining that your love has left you, being ecstatically in love again. I mean, that's a lot of love going on for a tenor. Well, you know, I, I guess it's. It's part of who we are, you know. We we have to be the Aha. love. Yeah, no, it's it's all it's born within. It's not something that, that. Well, of course, we learn how to do these things, but yeah, it's 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 peculiar that the tenor is always this kind of romantic, typically this romantic lead that is always falling in and chasing and uh, and dramatically dying from love and these things. But you know, I I think it's it's a lot of fun, and it, and it makes my my regular life a lot more normal. <laughs> you need the stability right. in your regular life. I see. I get it. The yin yeah, with, and a yang. Little ba- with a little baby in the house, that's not going to stay very, very yin and yang for forever. It's going to not yeah. at all. And, and I just actually played a father for the first time in Idue Foscari, and I just became a father. So it was a father of like this in Idue Foscari too. This different father. So it was kind of interesting to me that too. This different type of love. <laughs> 
Congratulations. Thank That's you. really fantastic, fantastic news. What I found interesting was I usually try and listen to the album before I research someone. And, and you knew you, I'd seen pictures of you with the Louis. We also mentioned you. And, and so I knew who you were and I'd, I'd heard you sing clips, but I sat down and listened to the album. And the, for the first couple of tracks, I thought, but isn't he a baritone? Because I heard all this, this sort of beautiful, rich baritone overtones in your voice. And I'm, I'm not just saying this because mm-hmm. I'm trying to impress impress you, which of course I am. Sound quite, it's a bit like, I don't know, I found it very similar. Placido also has that. And he's a bit like, I don't know, I found it very similar. Placido also has that. And he's moved, moved to baritone yes. now. But then I found out that actually that's how you studied. So how did that, can you tell us how that jump came? Oh, it sure was a jump. That's the right word. I studied as a baritone throughout, uh, I would say I was misdiagnosed as a baritone. Uh, when I was in when I was in college um, for four years, and I was starting to lose the the octave below middle C, so that's really where I kind of was like octave below middle C. So that's really where I kind of was like, mm, I think the top is actually growing, and the bottom is kind of uh, diminishing. How do you sense that? How do you do you sense that in daily repertoire? Repertoire. You know, mm-hmm. I would I would go out and I you know. Uh, be training this aria for a couple months and then all of a sudden oh okay there's no more low note what's going on and i would you know i would be like teacher what what's happening you know the, the high notes are getting very 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 full and the bottom is it's very it's much more difficult for me that's kind of where the uh exploration began my transition phase started however i tried to become a tenor in 2 years you know the tenor voice it sings outside of its natural it sings outside of its natural uh position almost all the time and it's it's more than the voice itself it's a technique that you have to create to become a tenor you can't just be a tenor because you have a tenor voice you have to create the tenor voice while being the while being that fuck so that just takes for all the great tenors, that just takes their whole lifetime to develop their voice. How, how do you do it? You, I know. I mean, I know that singers work with teachers until the day they stop singing. Mm-hmm. You, so these gurus, I wish there were horn gurus like that. I need one. So you, you go to your teachers and people like the really the experts that watch how a voice develops. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. You actually need somebody that's more than a teacher. You need somebody that can mentor you because the phase of creating the voice, it just takes, especially for the tenor voice, it takes very long. I would also say bass bass, like very low male voices also take very long to mature. So yeah, you need somebody I thought, that... I thought that, <laughs> I thought that was due to the, how the you know, the, the whiskey drinking and the cigar smoking that, uh, uh, that maybe these bass baritones, they, 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 they go really low. <laughs> I think, I think that just advances them a little, like five years later, you know, <laughs> they have cheat codes, <laughs> but yeah, the, uh, the voice, with my teacher, um, you know, we started in the kind of the lighter lyric repertoire to get me, you know, kind of settled. Nothing, nothing from La Traviata. We started with the song Dainis Panganzas Herz. This, this kind. Of, we started with the song Dainis Panganzas Herz. This, this kind of in the middle uh, voice because I was singing. Um, what is this uh, Tanzlied, the Mein Zin and Mein Venen, and all of a sudden, like the the A naturals and A flats were just like whoa, this is, this is a tenor now. This is not a baritone. And that, that's actually quite a high baritone aria. 
Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that, that a voice can transition like that. I always thought things went south, but uh, obviously yours, your voice went, went up. Is that a, you said they, they, you tried to be a tenor in two years. What happened to stop that? What happened in the middle of trying to be a tenor for two years? You, you actually stopped singing for a while or did you just stop trying to make that your career? I mean, I'm, I'm getting to how you became a mm, DJ. I see. It's, it's, she's, in the business, they call this a leading question. Yeah, that's my job. <laughs> no, I'm happy to be led down this path because after my master's I did at Manus, I was, you know, very frustrated. I really didn't know how my voice operated anymore. And I needed to do something with music. I needed to do something because this is, this is something that I invested my time, my money, you know, and my heart is in music, no matter what it is. So actually during college, I was kind of playing around with DJing and it was just fun. You know, we'd throw some parties or I'd DJ at a bar, but then, you know, people got to know me and I was, you know, I was actually pretty decent DJ. So I started to do that. I did that for about three years and add on to that, I started uh, working in club promotion. So I would actually help bring parties together, bring people to the club, which is actually even more lucrative. You could do that any time from any, from any place. So I did that for about five years. And then one morning I got home at 5 a.m., I mean, <laughs> and I just said, I miss being a tenor. I mean, I miss being an opera singer. I identify as this thing. I need to do this thing more than anything else in my life. This is my future. So I need to focus and concentrate on that. And everything changed from there. I mean, it was six months of just super focus and, uh, and diligence. And I really put my together with a great teacher in a very, very short amount of time. Do you think those, those five years, your voice was like maturing? You were still singing during those five years or were you singing while you DJed or how did, how did that work out? I, I sang, you know, kind of on my own. I was just singing at home for fun. Um, but, you know, I think it was a lot of the physical, but also mental development that went into this, you know, learning what it is to, you know, really concentrate and want to develop your craft that I, I was always a late bloomer. So it's just like, my mind wasn't quite quite ready to understand what that meant in my early 20s. But when I got to my mid-20s, late 20s, it was really like, oh, I I can bend that I can I can share with other people talented at this. This is this is something that I can I can share with other Once people get to 30. I mean, look at the tennis player players. Nadal just won again and there was like, oh, he's so old. Players, Nadal just won again and there was like, oh, he's so old. I mean, the guy's <laughs> nowhere near 40 yet. I mean, it's just so unfair. But singers actually, you know, r- improve with that age. That's right. Are they the, the muscles for singing that that, uh, that that get better with age? Most things get worse and saggier with age. Yeah, yeah, I would say, you know, there's there is definitely a prime for every voice. I'd say the the tenor voice is prime is probably between 30 and 45. Um, you know, that's when you're you have uh the most you know, that's when you're, you're in your mind is very sharp, but with age also comes musical ability beca- becomes interpretation comes musical ability beca- because interpretation art that you can't really translate into a sport. You know, you can do those that you could have that life, but the sport is really about technical and physical strength. It's not about interpretation. And as you said at the beginning, it's important to also know what you can't or shouldn't do. And uh, when you're young, I mean, I know it from from experience with horn playing, you know, you want to play all the tunes, you want to play it and press so hard on your lips that, you you know, you can't play for weeks afterwards. But now it's all about, OK, what do I have to do? What do I have to do tomorrow for you? That's true. When I started this hyper for you. 
That's true. When I started this hyper concentration, I was singing like six hours a day. I was just going through the books. I was going through, I was going through YouTube. I was going through records, everything I could get my hands on just to understand like how to make this one vowel on this one pitch, you know, everything I was trying to absorb myself with, but you can only do that for so long (laughs) until you completely overwhelm yourself and you burn out. But I'm glad that I went through it in a, and I think it's actually really important for a musician to completely immerse themselves in this. Absolutely. Here, here. <laughs> so your album, you chose your favorite arias or did your mentor have a lot to do with this? Or did he say, uh, you can sing that, but you can't sing that? Or I'll let you have troubadour, but I won't let you have, you know, whatever. How did that work? Because, I mean, everyone is a highlight. Of course, I look for, I, I saw that Bizet was on there. I couldn't wait to hear the Carmen. And yeah, there's there's some really hidden gems in there, the ones I didn't know, what operas I've never played. Yeah, did- very large list. I had a couple of different ideas of um of how to to manicure the album how to how to propose it um you know there was like this romantic all romantic stuff there was this kind of heroic you know there was like this romantic all romantic stuff there was this kind of heroic stuff there was kind of also this um trying to connect it to places that i've been like i've been to egypt and i've been to south america and then america and, and th- these different countries and try to connect it in a global way so we had a couple of different ideas how to put it together and I think it kind of just boils ideas down to this list and I, all of those ideas down to this list. And I think we have kind of an interesting group of pieces. You know, some of them are really well known. Some of them, I'm sure people have never heard before. Uh, the Francesca, it's, it's a super hidden gem. It's pretty rare, but it's it's a super hidden gem. It's a super hidden gem. It should be part of it's unbelievable music. It's film music, isn't it? Unbelievable music. Um, it's like and great, film music, isn't it? It's, it, it, is, I, I just, it is. It is. It's like a thriller. It would be, it would be fantastic. It's like a movie like they'd made of Tosca, you know, when they filmed it at the actual time of day that, yes. it, was being, that it was being sung about. Yeah, you I mean, make Placido that and Cheryl Milnes. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Just like that, a Hollywood film of this would okay, be Okay, so who would direct beautiful. it? <laughs> oh, man. That's or that's Spielberg. A, I mean, he'll probably he'll probably want to be in it somehow. <laughs> he'll probably want to be in it somehow. <laughs> yeah, sure. But be, I would be happy to work with Steven Spielberg, of course. Where do you think opera can go? Because you know, I'm asked this all the time as a classical musician. What do you think is the future of classical music? And of course, we're immersed in it. We love it. That's what we do with a passion, and our whole our whole being is 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 trying to take care of this live element. You know, because experiencing a live opera in the opera house with this incredible applause at the end or booze—you never know—but even that's an experience. Um, it, it, but it still is quite an elite thing going yes. to the opera. And I know like the Met and the, the Berlin Staatsoper and, and, and the Deutsche Oper, everyone is trying to get a younger audience. Mm-hmm. But wh- how do you see it going? Um, I think opera has always been complicated because it's based upon like, going to a movie and like just sitting down and like just enjoying and blah, blah, blah. You know, opera, it's really about what's happening right now in this moment. Opera is going to have to remain in the theater and some have to be in, in an acoustic environment that is suitable for that. But beyond that, I think that there is a future in media. Beyond that, I think that there is a future in media opera. I think that there there should be more media opera available. And I think that that is something that's going to draw younger people to the opera. I mean, 
I personally, I don't, I, I mean, I hope somebody takes this idea, but I think all these operas are set up in a perfect way to make a series. They're all, you know, just uh, scenes. And this, they, they're all 10, 15 minutes long. You could make an incredible two-hour series of 15-minute segments. I mean, that's that's one season. That's one opera. I think that this this idea of this of this Netflix and and uh, Hulu and all that stuff is is paving the way for something like that to happen. And I think it would be very cool. Fantastic. Well, I I know Deutsche Grammophon is listening, so we might uh, start <laughs> getting that. And and please, will you find a role for a horn player in there somewhere? <laughs> I think I think in the Lord of the Rings version, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. the Horn yeah, of that, Gondor. That. Very good. I will take it. I will take it. But um, congratulations on on the album and also becoming a, a Deutsche Grammophon artist. I mean, when you, how did you get the call? How did that feel? Oh, it was. Um, I I couldn't even really process what it was because we had this Francesca da Rimini. I guess, uh, live stream the night before. I got to tell you, it was working my butt off to pull this role off. I mean, it was, it's definitely something that was like five years ahead of when it should happen, but somehow it really came together and really organizing this role and my time in COVID that I spent really organizing this role and my voice for this part. And I, I'm so lucky that I had the time to just get the focus on just this role because it was really, really important. But to get the call the next morning from my agent being like, so John, saw your Francesca. That was great. Um, Deutsche Gramophone would like to have a little walk in the park with you. What do you think about that? <laughs> I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> Oh, fantastic. That must be such an amazing feeling. And now to be, be on this, I, I say, I always say at the beginning that Yellow Label's star-studded cast of musicians. I mean, that's, congratulations. Thank it's you. really, really amazing. And, and listening to the album, um, you belong. You really belong. Um, you belong. Looking forward to hearing a lot more. Thank you. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing a lot more. From you. I have a question. Last question. Sure. What does it feel like when you're up there on these high notes that seem to go on forever? Is it just is it just something are you thinking are you just letting it rip? Are you thinking okay, I have to do this and this to keep the voice steady or is it just the uh, the emotion of the moment? You know, there's a couple different things that go on, I think. Without I would say that the first thing, the most important thing for the high note is how to set up the high note. There's, there's no high note unless it's set up in the right way. Making sure that that happens so it, it, it propels you to this, to this place is the first step. And then the other thing is, you know, I really just try to maintain like, like, a, like a Zen, almost a, um, a meditation when you're there and you can hold it because you're really just trying to keep this all in one position and not move. You know, it's, 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 it's like the gymnastics guy, the rings, you know, they're holding themselves and just breathing and just staying in this position to holding high notes is always to keep them dynamic. You never start them too loud because then you, once you dynamic, you never start them too loud because then you, once you start too loud, you have nowhere to go. You always want to have some sort of dynamic control and that will always allow you to sing a long high note. And it takes a good conductor to be able to know when you're going to come back down or when you're going to stop. That's because, right, right. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I work in the opera. I've been involved in many car crashes involving tenors waiting for them to come down from high notes, either waiting too long <laughs> or too short. That's right. Those tenors, all we do is drive Ferraris and Lamborghinis. So. 
<laughs> They're hard to slow down. <laughs> I said it was a last question. I was lying. I do have another one. What roles are coming up? What would you like to see? I know you, you your voice is still developing and, and you know, you came from baritone. Who knows? You might end up a boy soprano back again, like in, the, <laughs> in how you started off. But what roles are coming up? Because now you've sung the big arias from many of the operas, some of the operas you haven't sung the role as, right? That's right. Or have you have you sung every role in the opera of, of what was on the album? No, it's probably about 50%. So coming up uh, next year is Cavalleria uh, Rusticana as Turidu and uh, Macduff in Macbeth. The Cavalleria will take place in uh, Vienna Staatsoper and the Macbeth will take place in the Salzburg Festival. After that, I have a Tabarro, which is a, a one-act Puccini opera of the character Luigi. And then my first Don Carlo will be 2024. It's amazing you guys have it all planned out. You know, I'm lucky if I know what's happening next week. Good thing it's an opera business because plans change. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's true. But it's a lot of learning. You know, people see you on the stage and think, oh, that's nice. But I know opera singers, they work free, as you say, years for a role. That's right. Because it's not it's not just the notes, it's the whole it's everything, you know. You guys have to be these days you have to be like pop stars on the stage or or Oscar winning actors. Absolutely. This year I I did six role debuts within one year and it was extremely I mean then they weren't, you know, nothing roles. They were Stefelio, Carmen and uh Foscari, uh, Fedora. It was just an endless list of uh Canio. So it was it was a tough year, but I actually by doing this, I really love learning roles. It's it's something now that's just like, oh, okay, where's the next role? What what do I get to learn next? Next year, I'm going to be depressed. I don't have enough music to learn, so <laughs> I'm going to have too much relaxation. I need I need to learn something. Yeah, but think of your poor voice. Your 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 teacher will say, think of your voice. Your that's voice right. needs uh, oxygen. That's right. And rest, and you'll be running around after your little baby. So uh, it's, it's true. Good you have some time planned in there. Well, I think I think Domingo was you know he really set the trend on just always keeping the mind active. And he always learns something from the role. I, I got to speak with him for a little bit. And, you know, this guy is just, he's so, he's just a book of knowledge because he, he wanted to know, he wanted to learn everything he possibly could and learn great characters, great interpretations. It's, he it was really just a, momentous to meet him. He did say, if you rest, you rust. That's right. That's right. <laughs> he, 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 I've never seen him rest. He was, he's at rehearsal <laughs> before me. <laughs> Well, congratulations, John, on, on your 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 album for Deutsche Grandfone, but also on becoming a Deutsche Grandfone artist and for just having the most unbelievable voice. It, it, it sounds so well-groomed, so well taken care of, and long may it last. Amen. I, I, I take that. Thank you. John, it's been fantastic having you on the Deutsche Grammophone podcast and great to meet you. I hope next time in person. Absolutely. It's been totally my pleasure. See you next time. Tschüss. Dear listeners, if you enjoyed this podcast with Jonathan and have been inspired to hear future podcasts like it or catch up on past ones, we subscribe to wherever you listen to your podcasts from. I'm Sarah Willis and it's been a total pleasure being with from. I'm Sarah Willis and it's been a total pleasure being with you and Jonathan today and hope to see you next time.